Okay, I want to talk to you, the title of tonight's message is Dreamer. I want to talk to you a little bit about Joseph. And it's very difficult to talk about Joseph because that's the fallback sermon for every pastor in the world. I mean, everybody knows this message, it's, it's a fallback message. Tonight it's not a fallback message, I, I do believe that I need to bring this message. And when I, when I say fallback message, it's when you're praying for two hours and God's not speaking to you. There's no safer message than, turn to, than Joseph. It's as easy as it comes. You can, you can get yourself out of any trouble by preaching Joseph. If you don't hear God, just preach Joseph. It's easy. But that's not the reason I'm talking to you about Joseph. I want to talk to you a little bit about dreams. Because, uh, not dreams, I'm, I'm not going to help you interpret dreams. I'm struggling to interpret my own dreams. I know there are gurus out there that knows exactly what it means when you dreamt about a snake slithering on green grass and you, there was a tree and then you were in a car and then you were eating ice cream. What can God be telling you? Even the angels are looking at you confused, God, like. And the way you know it's God, you tell me that you haven't dreamt for six months and now all of a sudden you dream that must be God. No, it's still not God. It's just, it's time for you to dream again. Uh, it's, not all dreams is God, but God does work through dreams. God does work through dreams. So get this up on the screen, Genesis 37. And we'll read together in... Genesis chapter number 37, verses, well, we'll start at verse 1. I think it's the safest place to start. Genesis is easy to find. It's the first book in the Bible. Genesis 37. And you should be using your phones to make notes. I think that's, that's a cool feature. It's only cool if you use it. Genesis, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan, this is the history of Jacob, Joseph, being 17 years old. How many of you are still under 17? Put up high your hands. I know you're still young, so your arms are short. <laughs> That's quite a bit of you. This guy was 17 years old when God began to use him, this dreamer, Joseph. He was 17 years old. I don't think God waits until you're 50 to start talking to you. I think God begins to talk to you way before 17 even. I think God, God begins to do, I was literally thinking about our you kids ministry and how we are busy training young kids. We have to pay a lot more attention into how we develop young kids about the gospel and facts about scripture. But we are in the church of, of the firm conviction that you are not too stupid to understand deep things about God. If you are 15 or 16 or 17, I think you can begin to understand the deep things of God. You don't have to wait until you're 50 to understand what God is trying to say. It's easy. You don't come from a monkey. There was a creator. He is called God, created the universe. Now there are very many different religions. People think of things and they call it a religion. There's a religion, uh, Star Trek, uh, Star Force, uh, what is, uh, Star Wars. Star Force. Some of you thinking about rugby Star Wars, Fernand. It's a religion to some people. There's a lot of religions, but th this one religion called Christianity stands out above them all. It's, it's, uh, it, 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 this is not the, the cause of this, uh, the purpose of this message tonight, but it stands out. And God is God, is God and he, even if you're young, you can understand who God is and you can begin to understand that he has a purpose for your life and that you were not just by, created by accident. You did not just arrive on the scene. You may have arrived with a hell of a lot of noise. 
into a, you, you may have arrived on this planet with a plane crash. Your parents' family might be falling apart and you somehow survived that falling apart family, but you're here now. God may have gotten you onto this planet through the, the family structures that he used, your mom and your dad, and they might be struggling with life and hell and all of that at the same time, but you made it and you are here and you are in this room. And I think that if you are, there has to be a purpose. If you, if you are giving your ear to God, there has to be a purpose with your life. Now, Joseph being 17 years old was growing up with his, with his family and his brothers. He was, I think, number 11 in the family line being born in his family line, the 11th boy being born. And uh, it's the 12 tribes of Israel. And being the 11th, he's got all these older brothers. They're not staying in a palace. His dad is sort of okay-ish in terms of wealth, but they're, they're not in the cosmopolitan city, such as Egypt, where everything is working out and they're living in a palace and a high life. They're living their normal life. And he, and he, he is 17 years old, but his family is rather dysfunctional. His family is not sort of dysfunctional. It, it, they're pretty, pretty dysfunctional. They're sitting around the table. Mom's telling stories about granddad, Wim Abraham. The same dude who told the king, his wife, the king's going to kill me. You have to go sleep with the king. And send his wife, pretended that his wife is his sister. His granddad, um, Isaac. What did Isaac do? Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is the guy that cheated uh, that put on his dad, Jacob, the, the coat of an animal to pretend that he is his brother, to steal his brother's blessing. His own father stole his brother's blessing. So he's growing up in a house where his dad's name literally means heel grabber <clears throat> or deceiver. So by no means is Jacob's family this high capacity, well-established, healthy family functioning in society as, as a family to look up to. His family is pretty dysfunctional. Joseph is 17 years old and he brings a bad report. Here's this young boy. He's in the field with the flocks and with his brothers. And now he walks home. Now the last child is different to the first child. I don't know if you've seen these stories on Instagram. Not that you would because you don't spend your life on Instagram. The first kid and the last kid. The, the firstborn, the middleborn and the last child. They're very, 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 very different people. And the last child is completely careless because the parents don't care because the first one you make sure that he doesn't bump his head when he is born until the day he gets married the last one they raise themselves and so here i think joseph is walking back and the bible says he brings a bad report of his brothers to his father i don't think this is the first time but it, it has to be part of your nature if the bible includes that in your story if the Bible only has like three chapters to tell us about who you are, and it decides to say he brought a bad report of his brothers. It seems like that is your nature. And often this young boy, Joseph, I think, would talk about his brothers to his dad. And that's why his brothers didn't like him very much. Uh, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. My children keep on asking me, who's my favorite? And I'll never tell them that it's the last one. I'm kidding. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not the last one. 
It's, it's, it's all of you. We love you all equally. All three of you. All four of you. But his dad loved him. And I think, I think when, a, when a family is unstable like that, to some degree, children begin to notice that the one has the love of the father. So the older brothers are of deciding age. I mean, 17, which would mean that the other brothers are a little bit older than him, of an age where they now begin to understand the world is happening around them. And they're talking among themselves. And this young one is always separate to the other 10. He's not with them. The 10 are together. They're watching the flock. And this one is a clicky back. You would think Joseph is this cool kid. You would think that, that the guy that God is going to use to save a nation is going to be this kid that has it all together. This kid doesn't have it together. All he has is the attention of the father. He's a young boy that's a little bit arrogant and he brings stories to his dad all the time. Dad, Reuben punched me. What's the other brother's name? Levi, Dunn. They have weird names. He would bring stories to his dad all the time, I, I think, about what his brothers are busy doing. And so he brought a bad report, and the Bible says his dad loved him. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic of many colors. Now, imagine that. His dad is making this jacket, and he's walking around with this Louis Vuitton jacket. And he comes to his brothers, <clears throat> and he just told the stories to his dad. What, what, when my children tell me these stories and when I take sides, the one that I, one of them is upset. So it's very difficult for a parent not to take sides. You're not supposed to take sides. You're supposed to remain neutral and help them learn the lessons. I think in the story of Joseph, Joseph is taking sides. Joseph is uh, his dad. Uh, Jacob is taking sides because he loved his son and listens to the stories. I think the 10 is busy seeing this whole picture play out. And here he is wearing his jacket. He's walking every day. He's wearing that jacket. And every time he puts that jacket on him, it tells them that there is something different to him and the way the father loves him. Now, if we just isolate this picture there, it could be this, that, that God puts on our backs a calling, a purpose, and a destiny that sometimes makes us stand out while we don't have the fruit of that standing out yet. Sometimes, the, because a jacket in the Bible, <clears throat> a jacket in the Bible or a cloak or a, 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 a garment that's put on you represents your calling. Elijah put a jacket on Elisha's back when he called him and he walked past him because it's, it speaks of the mantle of the calling. The mantle of the prophet was put on Elijah. So when his dad puts a jacket on him, it talks about his purpose and his destiny. It, it sort of points to a destination and a destiny that he has in his future. And every time his brothers sees that, it tells him that they haven't got the same recognition from their father as their brothers. Now, I think in Christianity, sometimes your enemy is not your brothers. You're, it, it, although your brothers sometimes act like an enemy, brothers and sisters and brothers that are supposed to be Christians are the ones suing you because we deal with a, with a country that says it professes to be about 80% plus Christians. Uh, the, this is the census said that we're about 80% Christian. And when brothers behave like that, you think them to be the enemy, but it's a spirit that's working through them. And so these brothers seize this coat in Christianity. I would submit to you that sometimes your destiny that God is taking you is making you stand out and it's attacking, attack, attack, attracting attacks into your life. Sometimes you're being attacked for things that's in your future that you yourself don't even know yet that it's there. 
you're, you're being peculiar in some things is sometimes a sign that God has marked you. And because there is a mark upon you, and for some reason you are standing out in a way that doesn't make sense yet, you attract opinions and you attract attack, attract attacks into your life. There are people throwing darts at you because they don't understand you, but it's a sign that God has marked you. That is a sign that God wants to do something with your life. And, and I think it is still impressive. I heard, I think it was one of these international preachers saying it's still impressive that he would wear this coat loud and proud in front of his brothers. He would, I'm sure 17 year old is enough, 17 years of age is old enough to know that somebody doesn't like you. You may not comprehend the depth and, and, and reasons and perspectives and, and the person's background as to why they respond, but you're old enough to know. So he knows his brothers has an issue with him, but yet he chooses to wear the coat. I think it says something about his, his intentionality towards life. I know that this coat is attracting, attracting attacks into my life, but I'm going to wear it nonetheless. Sometimes the mark of God in your life Will, will draw arrows towards you, for which you, ha you have to have the Ephesians dress code, which says is the armor of God that would quench the fiery darts of the enemy. But some of us opt to take the coat off. Because in taking the coat off, we take the, the bullseye off of our backs. I think Joseph would not have had a bullseye if, had he not had the coat. I think the coat is the thing that pulled the arrows towards him. His brothers disliking him was, I think, directly correlated to the coat he was wearing every day. And there's no evidence of the substance of what the coat is prophesying about his future. And in his idiocy, arrogance, and prideful attitude, wearing a coat for which he has no substance yet, he wears it loud and proud. I think you have to have some boldness in your confession of what God is going to do in your life. I remember us starting off as a church and a young ministry. We were a youth ministry and many people had a problem with our conviction that God was going to do something great through us. People had an issue and said, you're very arrogant for the way that you see life. I'm glad that I was not convinced by people's life experiences and failures to surrender my life before it even began. As a person that is called by God, don't let someone who failed to reach their destiny talk you out of yours because yours reminds them that they never made it. I think that's good. Don't let a failed life convince you that God can't do something great through your life. I think much of what you'll achieve begins in your blind following of God because it says we walk not by faith. For Paul to pursue God, God had to make him blind first. For Saul to die and Paul to be birthed out of Saul's life, God had to blind Saul to open Paul's eyes. Saul had to be blind for a moment and when a brother from the church prayed for him, it was God that sent the brother, but it's the brother nonetheless that prayed for Paul. It wasn't Jesus himself. A brother prayed for Paul and Paul's eyes returned, which speaks of revelation, I think, because eyes and sight and insight comes from, from eyesight. 
And I, it speaks of the revelation. I think much of the prayer from the brother speaks of the revelation that you receive from God through the hands of other people in the body of Christ. We need one another. We need one another. We need the fellowship of the body of Christ. You can do nothing about that. If you separate yourself from that, you are considered the lost sheep. You're not considered a hero for the faith that is so strong by yourself. You're considered a disobedient, rebellious sheep, which is brought back to the flock, the 99. If God goes and fetches you, he'll never praise you. He'll break your leg to carry you back. And Joseph is wearing this coat. He has no substance yet. He has no idea. He has no inclination. He cannot even understand what he has to go through to fulfill what that cloak is prophesying. And sometimes God calls you, but he doesn't reveal the full purpose of your life and the destiny that you have to walk. Because if you had to walk out the purposes of God, knowing what will happen in your life, most of us will turn around, including myself. Because when the problems come, you'll be at a different place than you are now if you want the revelation now. If God were to reveal to me as a young man, 16 or 17 years old, when I began to pursue God, if he were to reveal to me the problems I would face in my older years, I would have said no, because I, at that age, I can't comprehend what God could do there. And so God shows you pictures of what could be, but he doesn't always tell you what will happen on the way there. Because when you get to the problem, you're a different person than the one he tells go there. That's why he tells Abraham, leave your mother and your father's house to the country that I'll show you. And it was accounted unto him as righteousness because he believed God by faith. He left not knowing where he was going, not seeing the final destination. And this Joseph is wearing a coat and the coat is a, a in my mind, a prophetic declaration from a father that doesn't even know what is around the corner that God wants to use this young boy in. But God doesn't tell this young boy. He doesn't tell him. There's a Potiphar's house. There is a pit. There's a brothers that, that, that stab you in the back. There's a prison that you have to be. You're going to go to. How many of you, if God would tell you, you're going to prison before you can be used, the God would go like, here I am, send me. And so what God does is he puts a coat on his back and God gives him the first lesson of rejection, which is his own brothers rejecting him. And as his brothers rejects him, he has to go through that test for the destiny. The coat speaks of a future, but he has no markings to say that I've been there yet. He hasn't made any choices yet. And the coat on his back is, is drawing attention from his brothers. So no Joseph, but when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to them. He didn't, they did not punch him because they wanted to play with them. They just punched him. Poor little Joseph, 17 years old, walks past his brothers in the kitchen. Falls on the ground, goes, what's that about? He says, no, just don't like you. And Joseph had to go through the rejection of his own brothers because God wanted to do something in his life. And one day in the story, I brought out a chair because I wanted to sit down. So let me just use it for a second. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated even more. Now Joseph has this dream. Imagine this. Now Joseph has this dream. Joseph has this dream. Uh, you know what's, what's strange about dreams? Is that you don't have them at will. It's not Joseph prayed a prayer and told his brothers what he prayed. It's Joseph had a dream and told his brothers the dream. He didn't have this dream at free will. He had this dream involuntarily. 
And now he has his dream. So he goes to bed. His brothers doesn't like him. His dad put a mark on him, a bullseye on his back. Every time he walks past his brothers, his brother smacks him. He has this dream. He tells his brothers. I wonder if in his mind he thought to himself, if I tell them this dream, will they change? Or was he already persuaded they don't like me? Let them, let's give them a proper reason not to like me. Because now it begins to make sense why they don't like me. And so he begins to have a dream, not at will. He, he doesn't have this dream voluntarily. He doesn't decide tonight I'm going to sleep and God will speak to me. I've prayed often. I've prayed, I've prayed often. I've said, God, speak to me. Speak to me in the night watches. What I mean is don't wake me for prayer. Speak to me while I'm sleeping. But God speak to me nonetheless. And, 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 and over the years that I've been serving God, I've had God visit me in dreams very, very, very many times. The great thing about a dream is that you can't talk back. When you're having a dream and God is talking to you in a dream and he's beginning to show you certain things in a dream because there are things that are symbolic in dreams that you know this is God. Some dreams you just know that it is God. And when God is doing that, you, you, you can't put up your hand and say, God, but can I ask a question? Am I rich in the story? Am I still single there? <laughs> How far is this from now and am I single? God says, I want to give you the world as your, your feel. You go like, but am I single? <laughs> you can't talk back to God. And so, so Joseph goes to bed, has this dream and wakes up the next morning, goes like, hmm, who can I upset today? Isn't that as arrogant as a 17 year old comes? How can I find somebody to upset today? And he takes the dream. Do you think God didn't know this is Joseph's, did I say Jacob? Am I confusing the names? Is it good so far? All right. Do you think God didn't know that Joseph was a little bit arrogant? Do you know that, do you think God thought, I, I so hope if I give this calling to Joseph, that Joseph would just be mature. Jesus had to wait till 30 years of age in the Jewish tradition before he was sent out in ministry. Joseph got called at 17. So it's not like God doesn't know when to do what. So God chooses his arrogance as the time frame to drop this dream into his heart. Which tells me that God knows exactly where you are. You can't out-tune God. God knows where you're at. And God can, can begin to work in your life where you're at now. So don't allow people to tell you that you have to be better so that God can begin to speak to you. Because God chose to speak to an arrogant Joseph. Thank God he spoke to an arrogant David. Because the time when this calling was given about this church, I wasn't sorted out. But the fact is there was a faith and a conviction in my heart that God is God. He is real and he is capable of doing something with my life. And here is Joseph. God gives him a dream. God is not caught off guard with his arrogance. He takes this dream, runs up to his brothers and tells them, you know what's going to happen? Wearing his multicolored jacket, stands in front of them and says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to bow down in front of me. That's how you make friends and influence people. I mean, he tells them straight up, what did he expect? Did he expect his brothers go like, yeah, that's a plan. That's a good plan. We love submitting to a 17 year old that dad loves unfairly. That wasn't expected. He told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Imagine that your brothers hate you, but they hate you to the effect that they're willing to sell you. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. They were binding seven sheaves in the field. Then, he, then behold, my sheaves arose and stood upright. Indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheave. 
And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? Or shall you indeed have, uh, I read that twice. So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and took and told it to his brothers again. He doesn't learn from the first one. The first one upset them. You see Reuben standing there, he turns red in the face. He looks like one of those Spanish bulls. And he goes like, let me tell you another one. He doesn't back off, true to form. Maybe sometimes in the character and the nature of the person God chooses is what God put there in the first place. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Uh, so he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brother and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father's re father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamt? As if he dreams it at will. Shall your mother and I, your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his fathers kept the matter in mind. It's amazing that he dreams about 11. There are only 10 at this point. I think it's his brother Benjamin that was born later. He's not even born yet. This is a profound prophetic dream. And God is busy saying something to Joseph. But nowhere in this dream does he dream of a pit. In all of this, this magic moment with God, does he have any inclination that there is a pit before we get to the bowing of the sheaves? He doesn't dream anything about a prison, not even about the color orange. He doesn't see a Potiphar's wife trying to grab him. I mean like grab him, put him in the car's boot, kind of abduct him for other things. He doesn't dream any. He dreams about the sheaves bowing down below before. And imagine a 17 year old wearing a jacket that already has his brothers upset and fuming at the mouth, has gone through nothing. Yet in life that tells him life is hard. It's done nothing to the effect. And his brothers are standing there upset with him. And all he sees is seven sheaves. Uh, is it seven sheaves? Was it the seven sheaves? No, was it the 11 sheaves? Are you following with me at least? Where are we? Where are we? So he told his father, you dream still another dream took the sin. Look, this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow down to me. The first one, uh, there were binding seven uh, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, the sheaf arose and stood upright. Indeed, the sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. It didn't give us a number. It tells him of the sheaves bowing down. He sees his future. Imagine the 17 year old. If we were to take a 17 year old out in this room and tell you, put you up on this platform and tell you, in this country, politicians and presidents and rulers and rich people will bow down before you. Imagine what a 17 year old's mind pictures. I don't think any 17 year old's worth of mind would picture trouble to get to that point. I don't think a 17 year old mind is ready to conceive the purpose of them bowing down. I think a 17 year old only sees I'm right, you're wrong. As in the argument of between my two children, the one punching the other one for not wanting to play. I don't think they're conceiving the struggle and how this is speaking into their emotional intelligence, how you make friends and how do you love one another. Yet these stories still form part of their future. I think the 17 year old is thinking to himself, you're bowing down. I must be clever. You must be stupid. 
This is the way of life. They have no, he has no inclination that maybe God wants to save a nation through him. That if God would give you such a dream, you have to be aware. That God will not allow you with your arrogance to get there. Your arrogance might be the, the thing that God uses to form you. And in him telling the dream puts into motion the things that needs to happen to get him to the place where they do bow down. He would have never gotten there had he not been arrogant to his brothers. He would have not gotten there if his personality was not the, the, personality, <clears throat> the personality to run to them and say, this is the story. And here this young boy in his position where, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you that God is sovereign. He is so sovereign that he can deal with your stupidity. That God does not have to wait for your stupidity like the tides in an ocean to pull back before he can speak to you. But God can speak to you in the midst of your confusion and still be at work in you while the world around you is falling apart. It doesn't mean that you're, this is not telling you you have a license to remain stupid. This doesn't tell you that you have a license to remain uneducated in the word of God. And I can just go about life because life has a way to get your attention very quickly. I think the first time Joseph stood in a pit, his eyes went this big. And I think for the first time in the pit, his mouth got shut and his eyes opened. God is sovereign enough to know that you are so broken in your state that I can't wait for you to be whole and healed before I begin to reveal to you that I want to do something in your life. God begins to work in your brokenness and can deal with your brokenness in the journey towards your destiny. That everybody in this room, I do believe that you have a destiny. I agree with the preacher that preached a message on, on Joseph that said that this story is not a license for you to say that Jesus promised me a coffee shop and this is my dream. My dream is a coffee shop and take Joseph's story about a dream and make that into I'm going to own a coffee shop. His dream set into motion the history of Christianity. His dream is not becoming about becoming rich. So you having a dream about owning a coffee shop or a business or driving a Ferrari is not God. And God is not obligated because you mentioned the name Joseph to make your dream come true. What I'm talking about is purpose and destiny as set out for each one of us by God. And our purpose and our destiny doesn't look like the story of Joseph. Because I'm here to tell you, you have a destiny, but not all of you will be second in charge of Egypt. And just because you have a dream and a destiny from God doesn't make you a president of a nation. And I hear Christians quoting the scripture that says, God had given nations to us. You can't even take your suburb. You can't even take your classroom to church. But you think you have nations. The library president don't even know your name. Why would a nation's president know your name? Not all dreams implies that you'll be a ruler of a nation, but some dreams imply that God can do great things through you. Does that make sense? That God can do great things through your life, but it doesn't mean that God's going to make you a president of a nation. When God began to speak to us about this church, I want to read you the scripture before I get there. So, so she said, I know that's very, why would I just begin to read it any place?
why would I do that? I just open the Bible and just read as if it's going to make sense. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flocks in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said, here I am. And when he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flock and bring back word to me. So he set him out of the valley of Hebron and went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him. And there he was wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they've departed from here. And I heard them say, let us go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dotham. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they considered against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. This dreamer is coming. I think it's in Habakkuk. Let me see. Habakkuk 2 verses 1. He says, I will stand my watch and I'll set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and I will answer when I'm corrected. The Lord answered me and said to me, write the vision. This is not the one I wanted to read. I think the one I wanted to read is in Psalm 37 first. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Desires of your heart. You don't get to decide what dream you chase with your life if you're surrendered to God. God gets to put the dream in your heart. Delight in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Put that verse up there. Let me read it slowly to you. This is where you find destiny. Your mind is set on the things you delight in. Your mind, you'll catch yourself thinking about the things you delight in. And this is where purpose is revealed. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You can read it whatever way you want. He'll give you the desires. What you desire in your heart, he'll give you if you delight in the Lord. If you delight in the Lord, what you desire will be godly. If you read it that way, it's still fine. If you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires that you'll have in your heart. It's also fine. Both of these would read the same way because you delight in the Lord. It's both safe. The pretext for this is that you have to delight in the Lord. If you want to have a destiny in your life, delight in the Lord and God will put it there. And so his brother sees this dreamer coming. This dreamer is on his way to his brothers and they call him this dreamer because now he has an eye on the future. This young man is marked by God. Pay attention, we're almost done. This young man has a mind for the future now because he saw sheaves bow down before him. The sun and the moon bowed down before him. He already says, where I am now, that's not happening. I have my mind on the future. His brother sees that as a dreamer. You're called a dreamer when it's not reality yet. Much of faith takes place in the area where it's not substance yet. Whatever God is promising you, when it has not happened yet, you're still dreaming. I'm concerned that the brokenness around, in, around you in your household and in your families is robbing you of believing that it's possible. Would you quit dreaming because your parents failed? Hear me now. I'm not saying anything bad about your parents, but life is hard. If you stop dreaming, you'll never get there. Because it's the dream in you that tells you the pit is not forever. Can I finish my message tonight? 
Watch out for prophecies out of the mouth of your enemies. Because while they're upset with him, their upsetness is causing them to prophesy about his future. They made the mistake of calling him a dreamer when their intention was to end him. They were prophesying while their actions was contrary to what God wanted to do. They said, look, the dreamer is coming. God put something in him that even his brothers who acted like an enemy could not discern it, but called it out in him and plotted against their own recognition. Here comes the dreamer. If anything they can take from you, don't let them take the dream that God puts in your heart. And I'm here to tell you tonight that the dream is not to be rich. In his mind, he saw the sheaves bowing, but the end of his life was not the same as the dream in the beginning. I'm, I'm rushing and I shouldn't rush. I'm going to pause and take my time. This dreamer, Joseph, uh, here, here's what I wanted to say. When we began to dream about this church, very early on, very early on in my life, I recognized it. Now, I, I recognize that you don't have 100,000 churches like this across South Africa. And I don't think that you'll have 100,000 churches like this across South Africa. I don't think that's what God intends to do. So the dreams that we have individually and that God puts in our hearts and the dreams that God begins to dream for us, the future that he has for us, is not similar in, in fashion. I mean, you, out of all the apostles, very few died like Peter. And Stephen got martyred. He wasn't even considered an apostle. Stephen was just a guy serving tables but did miracles at the same time. They killed him for that. So not everybody's story is the same. So it's not the same. But when God called Chanel and myself to do this work of ministry. And God began to speak to us because very, very early on at age 17 to 18, I could already see the markings of God before I got radically saved. God spoke to me long before I got saved. In my stupidity, I pursued God, but not as a saved person as God was working. And when I got saved at the age of 18, God began to deal with us and we began to see things as God wanted to do things in our future. We, the markings were there. We found ourselves often standing in places and looking and seeing and God, hearing God speak. What we went through from there to where we are now, I never perceived that. The reality of that dream where we are now standing in, in this time, the moment in this timeline of God's unfolding story in all of our lives collectively and together. I never imagined the things that we would go through, the tri trials and tribulations that we would face on the way there. This young man sees that sheaves are bowing down. This is enough motivation for a 17-year-old to keep on dreaming. Thank God God didn't show him the pit. Because if God had shown him the pit, he might have quit the dream before he started. We are not supposed to remind people of how tough it is. We're supposed to remind people of how good God is. And when we do that, it'll keep you dreaming. And let me correct if there's a misunderstanding. If I had known the trouble we would have gone through at the time that I started, I might not have started. But now when we are here, it makes sense the pain that I had to go through. In retrospect, it was worth it. You, if you don't taste and see that God is good, you will not endure the pain. I think it's the dream in Joseph when his brothers put him in that pit and he stood in that pit. You know what the problem with the pit is? It's not a tunnel. So the light was not just it wasn't man-made light. Where would the light come from? 
If you put in a pit, how do you think the pit looks that they put him in? It was a well that was dug down. It was a well, how wide could the well be? And one of his brothers says, we're not selling this. We're not just killing this boy. We're selling him. And so they put him in a pit. And here he's standing in the pit. You know what the, the thing with the pit is? That it forces you to look up if you want to see light. And for the first time, a boy that has a dream and so his brothers bowing down on him is no longer seeing brothers bow down, he's seeing light. And he has to stand like this. The moment he puts his head down, he only sees darkness. And sometimes God takes you through a journey in your life where he has put destiny in you, but he has to take you through a pit to teach you how to look up first. Does that make sense? We often want to get to the place where they begin to bow down and we want to skip the place where we have to learn how to look up first. If he didn't do this when he got there, he wouldn't be able to be humble. He had to, when his brother stood in front of him, he stretched out a hand and said, I'm your brother. He could have had them killed. He was the second in charge of Egypt. He could have had his brothers killed as spies. But his heart was soft. His brothers were bowing down. Now his brother's bowing down at his age. You know how old he was. The Bible says he was 30 years of age when he stood in front of Pharaoh. He prophesied seven years of goodness, seven years fat calves, seven years of skinny calves. Is it calves? Fiesta. Cows. Seven years. So he must have been 37 years. I think it's how much? 22 years? 17? 23? Why am I counting like a pastor? <laughs> I'm actually very good at math, and I'll have you know. Sometimes. 37 years, 20 years ago, he saw his brothers. Because he went through a pit when his brothers stood in front of him. I think at the pit, the purpose for them bowing began to become clear. How is this possible, God? I was wearing a coat yesterday of multicolors. I had a dream that the moon and the stars is bowing down, God. All of this is, is pointing to a future where I'm at the top of my game, on the mountaintop. How is it that, because a pit is not on the earth, it's in the earth. You're lower than you were. So instead of going up where they begin to bow down, because if you were to think people bow down, you should be higher than them. Now those same ones made you lower than them. I think you're beginning to question, why are they bowing down? And the dream he had in the beginning when he was 17 years old sees men bow down. But the reason they're bowing down changes in this journey of 20 years. When you're called to be a pastor, an apostle, whatever you want to be called, a ninja. Just good at PlayStation, whatever you want to be. Good at paddle. What do you want to be called? If God does that in your life and you think the reason is to elevate you, you still have a pit to go through. We are not here so that you can be famous. And so what we've discovered when I was pouring the concrete with my team and people, we were pouring concrete. I would come here with dressed like this and I would see a mistake and I would get into the concrete myself and with that, the vibration machine make the concrete push out of the air bowl. I would get in that and I would be completely covered from head to toe. How many nights I went home covered from head to toe with concrete.
That's not when we started off. It was about how God's going to use us. But now the reason we're fighting in the trenches and doing that every day, it's not for the recognition we get. It's because we, we recognize that people are going to hell every day. And if that's really the purpose, God can trust you with it. And he, while he was in the pit, he had to look up. God took him from that into Potiphar's house and God put him in charge of everything. And he could take, he could take Potiphar's wife. But he said, I will not, will not sin against God. And he passed the test of Potiphar's wife and he got to prison and he negotiated a way out of prison by answering the dreams that the people had. And God said, you're not going to get your way out of prison. I'll take you out of prison when I'm ready. And he had to go. And when his brothers bowed down before him, the dream came true. Here they are bowing down. If he had not gone through those things, gone through the hurt, he would have said, oh, you, oh, you. soldiers, kill them. Did I not tell you? You were going to bow down. Look at me. I'm Joseph. But because he went through certain things and God was correcting his motivation in life through the things he had to suffer through, his brothers bowed down. But when they bowed down, his heart broke. And no longer rejoicing and then bowed down, he picked them up. You don't have to bow. God can't use you if he can't break your arrogance. The reason you're in service of God is not for you. It's for him. And when you get to that place, it's pleasing when you raise up your hands. It says, here my life is surrendered. When you're in trouble, you can now cry out to Father, say, Father, I need you. And you know he hears you because you sought him even in your pit, even in Potiphar's house, even in prison. You kept looking up. And more important to you than the likes on Facebook is this smile over your life. May we be dreamers. The dreams of God's fulfillment of his call in our lives to glorify his name.